Federal unions are letting the new Congress know what they want. The National Treasury Employees Union, for one, is urging a big pay raise in 2024, more paid leave and expanded telework. NTEU's national president, Tony Reardon, says he knows he's got a tough sell. Here with more, Federal News Network's Drew Friedman. And at the top of that list, Drew, is that 8.7% federal pay raise that is in legislation, not in law yet. How does NTEU say they rationalize it? What's their justification? Tom, so it's not really a surprise here. NTEU has been in favor of the FAIR Act for a very long time. And they said that, especially this year, it's a pretty significant pay raise. It would be 8.7%. But given the fact that there's been a lot of rising inflation, costs of living have been going up, NTEU and its national president, Tony Reardon, say that the 4.6% didn't really match up with the expectation that they kind of had for it last year. They're pushing for something a little bit more sizable and that would match up with the landscape that we've seen recently. With the FAIR Act, it would be, as I said, an 8.7% raise. That would be a 4.7% base pay raise plus an average 4% locality pay raise. And even though it's never been enacted, they're hoping that this year things might look a little bit different. Yeah, that's interesting because 8.7% across the board would really be the same as 4.7 plus 4. Now, the union is also urging an expansion of paid leave for federal employees. Again, an idea that gets bounced around every year. What's the latest there? The legislation that is related to this, it's called the Comprehensive Paid Leave for Federal Employees Act. It would essentially give federal employees 12 weeks of paid time off for family and medical leave. And this would act as a replacement for the 12 unpaid weeks that we currently get through the Family and Medical Leave Act. NTU is, of course, a an advocate of this legislation, and they have conducted an internal survey of their union leaders and found that about a third of those who were surveyed have a close family member with a serious medical condition. And Reardon explains more what this would mean for those who have that issue. I think it shows how paid family leave would really have a profoundly positive impact for federal employees that would allow them the opportunity to take time off to care for those those family members if it was needed. We all hear a lot of heartbreaking stories from members all the time, like using all, up all of their personal leave to take care of an elderly parent and having no leave left for themselves. Or members who are forced to take unpaid leave for a week, maybe many weeks, and then come back to work with literally more debt and a great deal more stress. And I think it's fair to say that issue is a mixed bag because some people in the private sector do get that level of paid leave from their jobs, and it's not the case right. in the federal government, correct? Exactly, Tom. Reardon also added to that saying that the federal government really should act as a model employer, as he put it, in that sense. And the country seems to be moving in, in that direction in a larger sense for the workforce. And he says the federal government should be at the helm of that. And telework is a big topic for just about anyone connected with the government. At their conference, what did NTEU say about how they want to shape the whole telework future? They share similar sentiments to other federal unions and other organizations that are advocating for federal employees, they said that there's a really strong sentiment from the federal workforce that essentially telework works. It helps federal employees be more productive. And NTU added that they're also trying to include 
maximizing telework in a lot of their union contracts to just sort of solidify their telework policies rather than just have it in words. And he also criticized pretty strongly the Show Up Act, which is a bill from House Republicans that would essentially return the federal workforce to pre-pandemic work arrangements. And what that means is a lot of people would have to go back to the office. The bill got a lot of pushback, but it did pass the House. But Reardon criticized it, as I said, pretty strongly. It's easier to say that federal employees, they need to show up at their work sites by claiming that, you know, American taxpayers are not being served than it is for them to acknowledge that they simply don't support federal employees or their unions. They would rather not explain that they know telework works just fine. Thank you very much. That, in fact, it increases productivity decreases costs, and, oh no, this is a horrible one, it improves morale. All right, he's a stemwinder there, wasn't he, at that legislative conference, old Tony Reardon. And Drew, Schedule F, another big topic for all of the unions. I don't imagine there's much daylight between NTEU and all of the other unions, lots of employees for that matter, and lots of politicians of both parties about Schedule F. No, you're absolutely right. NTU is following suit with what has been a very strong sentiment from a lot of people just, you know, having fear or concern or criticism of this Schedule F policy from the Trump administration. And instead of that, NTU, along with many others, said that they're endorsing the Saving the Civil Service Act. That's recent legislation that was reintroduced. And what that bill would do is prevent future presidential administrations from reclassifying federal employees from the competitive service to the accepted service and outside merit system principles. It's the third time this bill has been reintroduced and NTEU, along with other unions, other organizations have said it's really important to try to get this across the finish line. And interestingly, the NTEU, they had a an internal survey, as I mentioned earlier, that was surveying union leaders. In that survey, about 75% of respondents said that their biggest fear from another Schedule F type policy would actually be the the fact that uh, that politics would compromise their agency's mission. So less focus on the fear of losing their own jobs or job protections and more on what it would mean for the agency as a whole. Here's Reardon on that topic. That says a whole lot, I think, about federal employees and why they are in the work, doing the work of the American people that that they do. It is something that is very evident to us. We see it all the time that federal employees, they're dedicated to the mission of their agencies. They're not in this, you know, for personal gain. That's not what it's about for them. They're about doing what is to the benefit of the American people. And in the 118th Congress, Drew, there is a little bit more tension between Congress and the White House with the House in Republican hands. Does NTEU, did Tony Reardon say anything about that divide changing? And is there any hope for any of this in the next couple of years? That is the 118th. That's a great question, Tom. Reardon expressed a lot of that concern. He said that House leadership, he plainly called them hostile. He said they've gone after IRS funding and telework policies, as we talked about earlier. So he thinks it's going to be a challenging couple of years, but 
the message she wanted to leave with attendees at the legislative conference and just the union members in general is that NTU ultimately wants to work with everyone in Congress. They said that they're going to try to push forward on their issues and try to educate lawmakers to see things more from their perspective and why they want to move forward on some of these bills. Federal News Network's Drew Friedman, thanks so much. Thank you. And check out her story at federalnewsnetwork.com. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Dr. David Wilson, president of Morgan State University. David has had a fascinating career and has garnered a long record of accomplishments from more than 30 years of experience in higher education administration. Came to Morgan State in 2010 from the University of Wisconsin, where he was chancellor of both the University of Wisconsin Colleges and the University of Wisconsin Extension. Before that, he held numerous other administrative posts in academia, including vice president for the University of Outreach, associate provost at Auburn University, and um, associate provost of Rutgers. And when we were talking earlier, too, you had just mentioned that you had a... um, a wonderful nomination at the American Academy of Arts and Sciences. And David, thank you so much for joining me. Shane, it is indeed a pleasure uh, to be invited into this conversation with you. It's not in your um, in the short bio here, but I also know you served in some capacity in the Obama administration. Yes, I did, as a matter of fact. As I was leaving the University of Wisconsin, where I oversaw the UW colleges, I accepted the presidency at Morgan. And on my way into the presidency at Morgan in 2010, my name was advanced to President Obama to be considered as a member of his board of advisors on historically black colleges and universities. And so I accepted and served there for eight years during his two terms. Amazing. You've had a fascinating career at numerous universities across the U.S. How did you become passionate about the education field And what are some of the biggest lessons that you've learned? First of all, I was made aware of a quote by Horace Mann, who was a great 19th century educator who really gave rise to public education in the United States. And he was the first to utter the phrase that education is the great equalizer. And why that resonated with me was because I grew up in abject poverty uh, in rural Alabama, and there was no law in Alabama as I was growing up that required black kids to go to school. Uh, I was kind of shut off from formal education on a consistent basis. I didn't get a chance to go to school full time until I was in the seventh grade. We lived on property there that were owned by um, the white landowners. And so the um, owner of the property, a white woman with bring down to this little shanty that we lived in. And she would bring Look and Life magazines. My mom, uh, she would make us as children plaster these pages of Look and Life magazines against the wall of this little shanty to keep the cold wind out. I would take a kerosene lamp and go around the walls reading those articles in Look and Life magazines, which is when I first came across the phrase of Horace Mann. Hmm. From that point on, I committed myself you know, to education. It's an amazing story. And two things occur to me. One, it's almost incomprehensible that this happened during our lifetime. You know, that to me is uh, almost shocking. It's also truly inspiring that you recognized that you could do more and sought out to do that and were successful at it. 
So when you think back on that experience, how has that informed, shaped, influenced your leadership position now as president of Morgan State? It, it had to have had an impact, but how would you articulate that? So if you go back to that Alabama environment, what I saw, it was just so many people, my own brothers and sisters who were 10 times smarter than I was. But my first five brothers were illiterate. They never got an opportunity to show the nation how brilliant they were. Therefore, I really took on this whole notion that my life had to be about ensuring that individuals who were drowning in potential and they didn't realize it would be in a position where they would realize it. I was never ever about positions that would enable me simply to replicate privilege. I don't care where you went to school. I don't care what type of family you came from. I think that's where sometimes we kind of get education wrong. Uh, we have institutions that want to define themselves based on how many students they don't admit. I'm about just the opposite, taking individuals who are absolutely stellar and don't realize it and bringing that into existence for them. You've had so many opportunities that you could do other things, perhaps at um, larger organizations, but you're where you want to be on purpose, by design, for the kinds of reasons you just talked about, that it's, it's fulfilling. But can you talk a little bit more about that? There have been so many so-called top 50 institutions in the United States that have come aggressively after me. And, you know, I flirted with a couple of them, and I went home to Alabama because these two were very serious. And my family is brutally honest with me, and they keep me grounded. So I flew down and began to talk with them about these institutions that were coming after me. I was thinking they would be impressed. And when I finished, my youngest sister said to me, now, are you finished? Clearly, we are not understanding why you would even consider leaving Morgan. It just reassured me uh, that I'm living my purpose at Morgan. And it is joyful uh, to be at a place where you want to be versus being at a place where others think you should be. One question that I always have to ask, is there one leader or maybe a couple of leaders that have inspired you, that have you mentioned Horace Mann. I don't know if, if that fits in this category, but what might be a couple of leaders that you remember that, that inspired you, that gave you a purpose, helped shape your life? In 1989, when I was selected as a W.K. Kellogg Fellow, we had to be introduced to leadership that was different in a lot of ways than the leadership that we had been exposed to. In February of 1990, uh, Mr. Nelson Mandela was released and that's where I wanted to go and meet Mr. Mandela. We had no idea that he would grant an audience, and he did. He granted an wow. audience, and uh, Mr. Walter Sasulu did as well. So here I am, having grown up in Alabama, I harbored some anger toward the society there that kept me from realizing my potential and then kept so many others like me from ever realizing their potential. At the end of a conversation that we had, someone asked Mr. Sosulu, we're leaving this conversation thinking that you harbor no anger towards a society that locked you away for 27 years. Are we leaving 
with the correct conclusion. He said, I harbored no anger or bitterness toward the society that locked me away for all of those years because I and others like me knew that what we were doing was the right thing. If you commit yourself to doing the right thing, there should never, ever be any space in your heart for anger or bitterness. And that was transformational for me and why I respect and admire Mr. Nelson Mandela and Mr. Walter Sisulu today. That is a great story. And it, you know, with all the accomplishments through your life, I'm sure it had a great impact on your ability to, to go as far as you have and you're still going. Well, uh, I I have a takeaway in in terms of leadership lessons I've learned. We would be well-served as a nation if I think we created these opportunities for young people at various stages to really, first of all, see the United States. And then we need that same opportunity globally. As a result, when you do that, you understand the history over here. You understand the culture over here. You understand, and you got to understand the world beyond an intellectual understanding. You want to think of your maturation in a way where your brain can never, ever, ever be hacked. <laughs> so that's sort of the way, that's sort of I, the I way that I kind of see all of that. That's you know? brilliant. <laughs> and um, being born in rural southwest uh, Kansas, flyover country, as they say, I can, I can tell you that your, your comments about travel and getting out, not just reading about it, but actually traveling, it, it really is important. It's absolutely critical for someone's personal development. I, I, I happen to think so. Well, Dr. <laughs> David Wilson, thank you so much. I love every single piece of today, but also your life story. It's really impressive, inspiring, and thank you for sharing it. Shane, today. thank you very much for inviting me to have this conversation with you again. And I'm Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. We'll see you next time on the Lessons in Leadership podcast.